What's going on, STR Nation? Before we get into this week's episode, I've got something very, very special for you guys. This Wednesday, March 6th at 12 o'clock Eastern, I'm hosting a live webinar with Mike Riley, our Director of Coaching and Operations at STR Secrets. And what we're going to be covering is the number one way that our students are finding and taking down co-hosting deals right now. These are people, this, man, I, I wish I could claim that I discovered this, but it was actually Mike Riley was one of our students that figured out this new method. Uh, we're calling it the UI method, the underserved investor. And it's a way for, for us to target folks that have properties already that are not performing and they're either trying to self-manage or they're working with some of these big box management companies and they're just not getting good results. And our students are coming in and just taking these deals left and right over the last few months. And so I want to share it with you guys because this past week, uh, you may have seen my wife and I welcomed our new baby girl into the world. And it just gave me some flashbacks to seven years ago when my son was born and he was very, very sick. And um, that was the catalyst for me for starting this business. And it lit this fire under me to launch and scale this thing quickly so that I could get out of my job so I could be there with my wife and my son in the hospital. And it made me think back to, all right, if I had to redo this today, how would I do it? And would it be the same? And honestly, it's going to be very different than when I did seven years ago. A lot of those things don't really work anymore, right? And that's one of those things with this industry. It's constantly changing. But this UI method that we're going to cover, it works so good. It's ridiculously good for just cherry picking deals that are going to work for you and add a lot of value to the owners that you're working with. So Again, it's on Wednesday, March 6th at 12 o'clock Eastern. You can go head over to go, that's go.strsecrets.com slash UI. Again, it's go.strsecrets.com slash UI, and I'll see you on the webinar. You're doing these people a service. You're going to generate them more income than they could possibly do on their own. So you're adding a lot of value. You don't need to front the cost for them. What's up, everybody? My name's Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. STR Nation, before we get into this week's episode, I've got some I am so excited to share with you guys. For the last couple of years, we've been recruiting and training virtual assistants for our private mastermind students, and we have now officially opened that up to the public. So if you are looking to hire a virtual assistant for your short-term rental business, then go to strsecrets.com slash VA. And we will recruit, onboard, and train a VA for you. And if they don't save you at least 40 hours a month in admin work, then you don't pay. So I put a crazy guarantee on this because I've been testing this out for the last two years with our mastermind members. And I'm so confident that it works that if it doesn't randomly work for you, I'm literally going to give your money back. So if you want more info on that offer, head over to strsecrets.com slash VA. And now let's get to this week's episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Tuesdays with Mike and Mike. I'm your host, Mike Shogren, here as always with my good buddy and fellow STR badass, Mike Riley. What's going on, Mike? Not much, man. Excited for this. We got a lot of good questions today, so excited to go through them. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So if you guys are tuning in to the podcast, you should join the free Facebook group, the Short-Term Rental Secrets Facebook group. So 
Mike and I do these trainings live in the group every week. And Mike did a post the other day to just ask people, what questions do you have? And we're just going to answer them right here live for you guys. So if you're not in the group, just join it. It's free. We've got a great community. I think we're pushing over 6,000 people in the group now. And that's growing every day. So kudos to you guys for coming in here and playing full out and asking your questions. So why don't you kick it off, Mike? What do we got first? Yeah, so um, I got eight questions. I don't know if we're going to be able to run through all of them. Total, I got like 50 or 60. So we may have to do a part two and three to this. But um, the first question that we got, um, and so basically I asked everybody, like this is a Q&A for co-hosting. So what are your questions that you have specifically on co-hosting? And, uh, and so I'm going with the beginner question first. Where do I even start? Where do you start? You watched last week's episode. I'm going to keep that one super short and simple. We literally did an episode last week and uh, had a free PDF for you guys in the Facebook group that sent me a DM that breaks down exactly what are the first, whatever it was, six, seven steps to start your co-hosting business. So just watch last week's episode, get in the group, send me a DM and just text me or DM me the word blueprint, I think, and the team mm-hmm. will get you that, that PDF. Yeah, that was a softball one. Um, and this is a this is another really good one. Is it best to start with co-hosting versus Airbnb arbitrage if you are not able to buy any properties yet? I mean, from my perspective, yes. Again, you ask different people, they're going to give you different answers, right? I never went the arbitrage route. And a lot of my friends that really scaled the arbitrage big the last year have all pivoted to co-hosting. It's just the numbers have gotten pretty tight on arbitrage. And um, with rent increases the way that they've gone, it's just been pretty challenging to find deals that are going to pencil out, uh, especially at scale. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the co-hosting. They both have their pros and cons. So, you know, I feel like a lot of people that listen to us are probably more on the co-hosting front. But yeah, again, th- I don't want to say that there's a right or wrong way. Like what it, people used to give me crap for co-hosting when arbitrage was huge. And I was like, dude, the numbers work. So, I mean, you do you, I'm going to do me and whatever. But as long as your numbers work, that's fine. I think knowing your numbers is the biggest thing. I'm a little bit more passionate about this. I've never done arbitrage. I've seen a lot of people get burned in the last year and a half from arbitrage. So I always will tell people co-hosting is the way to go because there's there's literally no risk. Yeah. Your risk is if something happens like while the guest is there and you know something catastrophic happens really. But if you think about it, from, that, no matter you're owning, arbitraging, or co-hosting. Exactly. That's, exactly. That's the risk, though. So, I mean, if you look at it from a macro perspective, supply to buy a new home right now, the supply is like some of the lowest that we've ever seen. Like you can't even, you can't buy a new house right now because there's not stuff on the market. So what does that mean? That means more people are renting. What does that mean? The demand for rent is higher. When the demand for rent is higher, what do they do? They charge higher, you know, monthly costs for rent. So when your monthly cost for rent is higher, it's obviously more expensive. So you need to be able to charge more per night if you're going to do Airbnb arbitrage. And really right now in 2023, I mean, 2018, 2019, you could have gotten away with like some good numbers, 2020, 2021. But just the amount of supply of new Airbnbs that are coming on the market right now, we're all seeing revenue and occupancy is going down across every single market in the country and revenue staying relatively flat and it's going back to 2018, 2019 numbers. So when you look at it, 
Like the long-term rent, if you put a lease on a property, it's going up and it's going to continue to go up. So you really, really need to know your numbers because if you're putting, you know, first months down, last months down, security deposit, and you're getting a three-year lease, which is what some people are teaching, which is just crazy to me, um, on a property and you're furnishing it, like, let's say it's just a one bed, one bath. That's like, you know, 15 grand, 10 grand to furnish that thing. Typically, that's a lot of risk that you got to assume. And if you're underwater, what do you do with that furniture? You know, how do you back out of that that agreement? So when you're doing co-hosting, you, you're a service-based business. So you charge a management fee. You have no money into that deal. You charge an onboarding you know, fee as well. So technically, I mean, you're cash flowing from day one. So it's just, to me, it's a lot less risky. Yes, you you have a client, right? But if you set up the right expectations with them up front, um, they can be an asset for you and give you more and more properties and have a good working relationship. So I always say it's better to start out with co-hosting versus rental arbitrage. Well said. All right, number three, different ways to structure the business model. Co-host versus manage, for example, and how much to include owners in that process. So some of it's going to depend on where you're located and what the regulations are, right? So different states and different municipalities have different rules for what qualifies as a property manager. And, you know, do you need a real estate license? Do you need a broker license? It's going to depend on where you are. So you got to do some research, talk to an attorney, figure out what are the rules for that. I think that the, the way that I've seen a lot of people structure it is there's kind of, in my mind, there's two ways, really. I like to run everything like soup to nuts. Like I don't want the owners involved. Like this is like a passive service for them. So the the two buckets that I put it in is like basically you collect all the money into an escrow account and then you issue the distributions at the end of the month. Now certain states will call that property management. So the other way to do it is all the money goes to your owner and then you send them an invoice at the end of the month, you know, at a super high level. So those are the two buckets, but really where you are located is going to drive that decision, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And every state's different. Like, technically, we're in hospitality, right? We're not, we're not in like the rental management, long-term rental management. So it's like every state is going to word it a little bit differently. That's why you got to do your research up front to know kind of the differences there. So, all right, this is another good question that we get very, very often. Have you or any STR veterans out there ever paid to furnish a property that you are co-hosting. No, 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 <laughs> no, I wouldn't do it. I've had a bunch of mastermind students ask me that. And I think that's, that's more of a mindset thing when you're getting started because you want to make a deal work and you're trying to sweeten it for the owners. Absolutely not. No, you don't need to do that. It's more, that's more of a confidence thing. And that's one thing that we work on a lot, especially on some of the beginner calls is getting your mindset right that you're doing these people a service you're going to generate them more income than they could possibly do on their own. So you're adding a lot of value. You don't need to front the cost for them. I would absolutely not do that. 100%. I think it's just a an expectations conversation of like what they're looking for. Like, I know it's hard when you get you get a conversation. It's like one of your first conversations with a, an investor or a homeowner. And you like, you know, you, you've been trying to do this. Like you're new. You've been working on it for a while. And you want to make it work so bad that you like think outside the box and you think that this is a possible solution. But at the end of the day, like you're taking on the risk here. Like you said, like even in this question too, 
you mentioned, I can see the possible problems if the agreement or contract expires or is canceled, obviously. Like what happens if it's canceled or they're just like, hey, I don't want to rent it out short term anymore. Uh, you got to move the furniture. And then like you, you made a point too here is if a co-host pays to furnish it, they should be entitled to a larger percentage. Um, I'd say if you did it that way, you should get 100% up until you get your money back for that furniture. But still, like, don't do that. I would need to it. be able to have that conversation with the owner of like, this is why um, you should work with me. And if it's not going to work, if the numbers don't pencil out, I, I've turned down way more deals than I have taken on just because it just doesn't make sense for me or the homeowner either based on their goals. So you just have to get very, very clear on what your criteria is. When I first started out, the minimum I would take on is if I could make a 500, 500 bucks a month, if I could make that through my management fee, I would take that deal. And I was scaling to get out of my job at Google. So now it's more like 1500 um, just because I'm at a different place in life. And so you have to know what your, what your minimum criteria is. And you have to be able to say no. There's a, there's a massive power in saying no, just like Chris Voss says, versus saying yes. So, yep. So short answer is no. <laughs> yeah. Very short answer, no. Do you create a new listing when you onboard a new owner? Do owners have access to seeing messaging with the guests? No, they don't. I don't like that because it's like having big brother or big sister over your shoulder the whole time, right? And they're like, well, why didn't, why did it take you seven minutes to respond to this person, right? Like you don't want to deal with that. It's just causing way more headaches. So I've taken over listings from people and I immediately changed the password immediately. Like you don't need to get in here anymore. Set up a new one for you if you're going to travel or I'll set up a whole new listing on our profile, I don't care, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. It just opens up to, the whole point of this is to create a passive income stream for your investors and your owners. And even if they have the best intentions, if they're getting in there and like reading messages and doing it, it's, it's pulling them back into the business and that's not what you want. So no, hundred percent. And that's what I tell them too, is like, you don't want to be seeing the messages. Like I'm going to be messaging people late. You're going to get messages, like turn off your notifications. I do the same thing, change the password immediately. Uh, cause you want to, the way you want to say is like, Hey, this is going to be completely passive for you. The people that I work with, they expect a check by the 15th of every month. That's it. Yeah. That's all they want. And, and to me, me to hit their property goals. So, all right. How do you best set expectations with owners in terms of pricing and what types of booking requests will be accepted or declined? So I would just walk them through whatever your process is. So as far as setting expectations, I'd, I basically just say, listen, we use a dynamic pricing tool that is going to maximize revenue and occupancy for you, just like the airlines do, right? If you're going to book a flight today versus tomorrow, most likely that price is going to change. And it's doing thousands, if not millions of calculations every single day to factor in local supply, local demand, local events that are going to be coming up that no human could possibly compute all of that. So we use this. And then we're in there and we'll make subtle adjustments based on, you know, our deep knowledge of this market, but we leverage a dynamic pricing tool. All right. I don't let owners dictate pricing. I just don't. I do have one owner, I will say in the Hamptons that does not want to go, go below a certain price. And I'm like, fine, but your occupancy is going to suffer. And he's fine with that. Like he do, he's not even looking at it to make a lot of money. He's just like, you know what? I'll offset some of my costs. He lives there part of the year. And he's like, that's fine, but I'm not going below this number. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Yep. And it's all, I mean, if you explain that to him, it's be like, hey, I'm, I'm using this to maximize revenue. And I have full jurisdiction of who I accept and decline. 
And again, it's this is going to be a passive investment for you. So you're going to get a check and a report on how we did by the 15th of every month. Like, just keep it very simple like that. We did have another question, follow-up question to the previous one. Um, how do you keep the owners out of their own listing to see messages when co-hosting? You just change their password. And so, like, if they need to book their own travel, they can either let me know or they can create another account or use, like, their spouse's account. So, yep. yeah, very simple there. Here's another good one, too. I want to pull it up. Hey, guys, what is your process when taking on a property that needs a design overhaul? Also, how do you come up with an upfront setup cost? So I think it's just navigating the conversation of like, if, if the property needs like a heavy reno, what I like to do is I'll just show them like, okay, here's what this property could generate. However, these are the types of properties that are generating that income and they look like this. So in order for us to generate you this amount of income, it has to look like this. And then you work with an interior designer, like on design interiors or whoever you're going to use to design it and give you a budget for like, how much is this going to cost? And then you just have a, a straightforward conversation of like, listen, this is what it's going to take to get it to this level. Based on this investment, you're going to generate a 50% cash on cash return on you doing these upgrades. Like, are you getting that kind of return anywhere else right now? So that's how I always broach it. But I, I don't, I won't lower my standards because if they don't upgrade the property, if it doesn't look good, one, it's going to be tough to book, but two, you're just going to attract guests that don't give a shit about the property. And I just, I just find that the, the nicer the property looks, the less headaches you deal with and the more income that your owners are going to make. So don't hold them accountable to doing it the right way. Because quite frankly, Mike talked about earlier, the supply has gone up substantially. And if you don't upgrade those properties and make them stand out, they're not going to generate revenue. They're just not. And then the owners are going to look back at you and be like, you're not doing a good job. It's like, well, no, property isn't up to par. Yep. One thing I'll add to there is, um, and this has worked really, really well. I'll ask them, hey, so when you're scrolling on Airbnb or Verbo and you're looking for a place to book in your vacation spot, do you typically scroll past the first or second page? Mm -hmm. And people always say no. And it's like, all right, this is what we need to do. Look at the properties that are on the first and the first page of Airbnb right now. We need to get your property looking like this, but better. And then I'll work with on design interiors to come up with an estimate on what that's going to cost and work from there because this is your revenue potential and this is where I think we can get it to. So very, really good question there. And then another follow-up question here. You mentioned the client is only looking for their check. I thought as co-hosts, the clients handle the money and then we as co-hosts issue an invoice at the end of each month. So yeah, so we touched on this earlier. Um, there's two ways to do it. You can take all the money in and the escrow account, do trust accounting, deliver the check every month. That's what myself and Mike do. And then that's more of like, the management side of it as a, like a true co-host, as you're mentioning here, the clients can handle the money and then you send them an invoice. But the whole key is you want to make it as passive as possible and explain that to the owner that this is going to be a passive income stream for you. And you're taking on all of the management and all of like the operations of the property. So that's where you can deliver the most value. And those are the types of people you want to work with. All right. This is a good one. <laughs> with the Airbnb market crashing, during high season this summer, bold statement. Yeah. And ADRs falling below midterm rental rates this fall. Another interesting statement. Is it even a good idea to pick up more units? How do you run your numbers these days to account for the fact, fact apparently, that ADRs are half of what they were last year? So 
and again, like that might be that person's experience, but I'm I'm not going to, you know what? Fuck it. I am. So the problem is, is you're not running your property effectively. I'm just going to tell you, or more likely the properties that you're running aren't up to par. They're just not right. Like, have I seen a downtick? Yes. I think it was down maybe 7% for July, but our August is up compared to last year. So like I've seen a difference in travel patterns where people are booking way more last minute. Like right now we're about to pack up and head home from staying at one of our places. And in the past, like August through September would have been completely booked out by now, but right now they're not, but they're filling in within the next two weeks. So it's just taking a breath. What I think a lot of people are doing is just absolutely dropping their rates because they're freaking out that they're not booking instead of think of like Mel Gibson, like hold, hold, like you, you got to hold the line for a little bit longer before you start dropping prices because the travel patterns have changed. So people are just tending to book more last minute. So it's, it gives you a little more anxiety, but if you look at what the airlines do, it's the complete opposite of what most hosts do. The closer they get to the flight, the more expensive it is where most people here, the closer they get, they just drop it through the floor. You don't need to do that. Right. If, you're in a good market where, and your property stands out. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the reality of it. So go back and Mike and I did, I don't know, probably a month's worth of how to diagnose your listing. Maybe two months ago in the Facebook group, like all of those recordings are in there. Go back and watch those where we go through like step-by-step how to diagnose your listing to figure out what is the issue that's going on. Yeah, 100%. I just want to spit some facts here from July from AirDNA as well. So Occupancy year over year was 1.3% lower than, than last year. Okay. Total, total demand rose 9.4% year over year. So more nights were booked. And then available listings reached 1.5 million, which is up 12%. It's up 12% year over year, just like I said earlier. And then RevPAR, which is basically revenue per active um, rental or per active listing, however you want to say it. Uh, declined 2% year over year. And so, and then ADRs declined 1%. So like they're not getting cut in half. <laughs> so I would, uh, I would just check your facts. I think it's, it's really important to know your numbers when you're taking on new deals right now. I mean, it's always really important, but just know, know your numbers. Um, and it sounds like from your question, you don't, and I'm happy to like, you send me an email, I'll get on a one-on-one with you and kind of break down how I run the numbers because it's, I, I can't see another person go through being in the red. Like it just, it happens too often. So um, we got time for, for two more. Let's. The, the only, while you're looking that up, the only other tip I'll give this person is when I'm analyzing a new deal now, and quite frankly, this, this hasn't really changed. Our properties tend to book, we're in like that 90th percentile, like the top 10%. But when I'm analyzing a deal, I'll analyze it at 50 and 75th percentile and it'll still have to pencil out at 50 which would be like insanely low for us and if it can't pencil out at 50 then i won't do the deal so it's just when you're analyzing being ultra ultra conservative with your numbers so then you really can't lose like it's it's nearly impossible to lose if you're that conservative with your numbers yeah there's uh there's a bunch of questions on like how do i get how do we get my first deal? How do we do cold prospecting? What's the best way to get leads for new properties? Like we mentioned earlier, if you watch last week's 
last week's blueprint essentially video that we did, we kind of broke down the seven different ways that you can you can get co-hosting leads and and prospect for co-hosting. So and then I did another training probably about a month ago, detailed those seven different ways. So if you just go back into our Facebook group at the top, there's going to be pinned videos from these Tuesdays, these Tuesday calls or webinars, I guess, and just go back and watch those. But I'll do one more because I think this is a really important one that not a lot of people talk about. And it's how can we get past the mindset of what if I screw up? Mm, I'll let you in on a little secret. You will screw up at some point. I've had screw ups like it. it is what it is. And I really had I really battled with this, if I'm being honest, because I was such a perfectionist. Like I always had really good grades. Like I was a really good student. And then a mentor of mine was like, dude, I'm glad you were a good student, but the real world doesn't work like that. Like you can't be a perfectionist and actually move the needle. Like you're going to mess up and you have to be okay with that. And it's going to suck and it's going to be embarrassing. You just got to own it, learn from your mistakes and keep it moving. Like that's the only way that you're going to make progress. Because if you, if you wait for perfection, it will never come. It does not exist. You wait for that perfect deal or that perfect client or the perfect time to get into the business. You're never going to do it. And that was one of the best lessons that I ever got. Because school doesn't teach you that. School teaches you how to like memorize facts that like there's a right and a wrong. That's not how the real world works. It's just not. And so I just had to get comfortable knowing that every once in a while I'm going to screw up. And it is what it is. I don't like it. I feel like shit when it happens, but I learn from it. And I do my best to not make the same mistake twice. That's it. And the way to mitigate that for me is I just always surrounded myself with people that were smarter than me. Like I paid to join different masterminds where people were at operating at such a higher level than I was that it was like, those were my guardrails. But even with that, I still screwed up and you're going to screw up, but it just really lowered the odds of making really big mistakes versus stupid little ones. Mm -hmm. And just being vulnerable too. Like <clears throat> you may think in the back of the head, am I screwing this up? Am I screwing this up? Well, put it to the front of your head and like ask people that have done what you want to do. Like, be okay saying, hey, did I screw up? Or hey, what should I do here? Like we have this ego that thinks like, hey, we can figure it out. Like I'm, I'm gonna prove to my client that I can figure this out instead of working with your client of like, hey, you know, occupancy's down right now. And I'm thinking we may need to upgrade some things and get you looking like this type of property, but you're gonna have to invest a couple grand. Are you, are you willing to do that? Do you see kind of like just be vulnerable, be open. And the only way that you will go is, is to grow. So we did a video probably two years ago, Mike, on that when we were doing mindset Mondays, screwing up or failure is not a, it's not a true failure unless you quit. Like it's just a data point. It's just a data point that you can use for the future and learn from. So yeah, hundred percent. I think that's a good one to end on too. Cause it's, yeah, it's a great one to end on. Love it. So, yeah. If you guys, if you guys have, um, have more questions, feel free to go into the Facebook group and, um, and ask us, we, we did a post yesterday. I'll pin it too. um, go back and watch the rest of the, uh, the recordings as well. And then if you want our, our, uh, co-hosting blueprint that we did last week, just go into the Facebook group, find Mike's face, his profile, find my profile, Mike Riley and, uh, DM us and say, Hey, I want the blueprint and we'll send it to you. Somebody said, would you mind doing this every day and maybe extending it for four to five hours of Q&A time? Appreciate it.
yeah, join the mastermind. We got six of these a week. So, I mean, that's, that's what it is, right? And it's, it's just guiding you through the execution because even I've done so many deals and I still, whether it's Mike or Chris Petsy or Shane or other people that are in my network in the mastermind, I'll still run those deals by these guys. And I taught them how to do it. But just having a second set of eyes all the time, it just gives you that extra bit of confidence to like move the needle forward. So yeah, that's it for this week, guys. Again, if you're not in the free Facebook group, join the group. Like we're doing this every single week live where you can ask us your questions, but also Mike, myself, and the coaches are active in this group answering questions every single day. So join the group, join the community, especially if you listen to the podcast, like these are all podcast peeps. So kudos to you guys. And um, that's it, man. Get out there, take some action, be okay making mistakes. Just try to avoid making the big ones and just keep moving the needle every single day. So have an amazing week and we will talk to you guys soon. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.